You want movies? These two are in my circle of trust. We got movie reviews on Phoenix FM. That's right. So, Saturday before Christmas, and of course, Mark Searby's in with us. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you? Yeah, I'm well, thanks. You know, I should have gone ho, ho, ho or something, shouldn't I, really? Yeah, well, you know, it's... it's... I was going to crack a really inappropriate joke then. I'm not going to do that. Oh, oh just... dear. <laughs> I mean, the thing, I, okay, I'll say something. Look, I know you're not a huge Christmas person anyway, so maybe it's right for me not to do the ho, ho, ho instead. Do you know what? I'm feeling slightly more festive this year. I don't know what's happened. Oh, yeah, too much eggnog. Not one drop of eggnog has passed these lips, I can assure you. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) it will do. It will do, but not yet. It will do. (laughs) But now I'm feeling very festive. So what delights have we got today? So we should talk about a movie that's in cinemas from Boxing Day. So that's from Tuesday, you know, next week. Um, It's called The Boy and the Heron. And it's about a young boy named Mahito who is yearning for his mother, who ventures into a world shared by the living and the dead. There... Death comes to an end and life finds a new beginning. Now, Mm -hmm. this is an animated movie. It's the return of Studio Ghibli. It's the return of filmmaker Hayao Miyazaki as well. Now, I don't know. Do you know too much about uh, Ghibli's work at all, Spencer? I'll be honest with you. I don't know. Okay, so um, brief overview is that they are one of the all time great animation studios. Uh, They are based in Japan. Uh, well, I say based, they are, they they made so many amazing movies that are actually streaming on Netflix that you can see them now. And there is subbed versions or is there, there is English dub versions that several years ago, the uh, career, the co-founder, Heo Miyazaki, decided he's going to shut down Studio Ghibli. He's had enough. You know, he's in his late 70s. He's kind of like, I, I've done my stuff. You know, I made award winning movies, Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, movies like this. I'm going to retire. And everybody was like in uproar. We can't, you know, this can't happen. Ghibli's such a, a pioneering studio. And anyway, he's out of retirement. I mean, I say he's out of retirement. He's been out of retirement for about three years because he's been making this movie. And it is a pleasure to have Ghibli's work back and on the big screen as well. This is a thing that I, I think us Western audiences we don't get as much you know we, we've not had all of their work on the big screen it's only over the past i would say 10 15 years maybe where they've been really pushed out onto the big screen so the boy and the heron it's on the big screen i don't think it's their best work yet it is still an absolutely thrilling piece of work i love the way that miyazaki makes many of his movies about children searching for a parent they've lost and then how and then dealing with how they come to terms with it. You know, it's such a unique thing to have in many of his films. And it continues here because Mojito is struggling after the death of his mother. He has no help from his father or the rest of the family. He has to do this alone. And it's really sad to watch. You just feel for the young lad. He just desperately needs some guidance in his life. And the problem is he's now resorted to hoping that the spirit of his mother will come and give him some guidance. The thing is, that's where these movies, these storylines that that Ghibli make, and especially Miyazaki, veer into the fantasy worlds. And bizarrely, in in the only way that this company can do, it makes it feel more real than ever before. So 
when Mahito is taken through to the other world, he meets all sorts of weird and wacky characters, including the heron of the title, who seems to be a heron with a very ugly man trying to constantly break out of him. You see him keep poking out from his beak. And I know it sounds bizarre, yet it's perfectly in keeping with Ghibli's work. And it's all very normal as well. I mean, the, the, the fact that Mojito and the, and the Herod are being chased by budgery guards who are like soldiers. Right. You know, that's that, that's <laughs> another thing, right? Yeah, exactly. That to me, I, I I watched that and I thought, is this a metaphor for the boy seeking solace in nature in the real world? You know, who so, knows? So, so when you say um, that the going back to to the the company, they're based in Japan. Mm. What's the style like? Is it kind of like other Japanese kind of animation, like ma manga and stuff? Or no, it's it's a very um, Ghibli's work is very unique to them. It is beautifully drawn. It is, it, you know, you look at it and you go. Okay, it looks like standard animation. I, you know, that's the wrong terminology, really. But I'm just trying to 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 explain it a little bit more here, Spencer. It, it looks like standard animation. You know, it's not like manga where it's all you know sharp lines and it's all jumping all over the place or anything else like that. No, no, it looks like standard animation. It's the characters. It's the storyline in here. But right. the, the the animation pops off. Like the the background animation is beautiful. Then you've got the foreground animation as well, which is gorgeously done as well. So, I guess. I, I don't want to say it, but I, I will have to. For anybody who doesn't know Ghibli's work, it is it does look like a you know you would watch it and you go, it doesn't stand out immediately. But as the longer it goes on, you start to realise how beautiful the animation is. That's the thing, and that's what Ghibli has always done, and that's why they've been so popular. That's why they've won Oscars and and Baftas and you know all of these awards basically. Um, the, the, the other thing that Ghibli do is that they put so much complexity into their films. And I think it depends not just on your upbringing, but also your stance as an adult as to how you react to the things in their movies. So like Princess Mononoke, you could watch that and think that's a movie about uh, a, a young person who is is becoming a friend with with like a dragon type character but it's not it's actually a an environmentalism movie you know spirited away you could look at as it's a movie about a, a young child who ventures into this realm where you've got these weird and wacky characters and it's about food it's not it's about the loss of parents and parents not parenting properly you know all of these things yeah that's the, that's the beauty of ghibli is that th there's so much in it and there's so much emotion and i think dependent on your stance and where you are as an adult and how your life is depends on what you take away from it that's the other thing with the boy and the heron is depending on what you take away from it i've seen people talking about this movie for quite a while because it, I, I saw this several weeks ago and you know it's been everywhere it, it, it's the number one film in the u.s at the moment which is staggering compared to what else is on on display you know this this is really staggering and it's amazing as well some people have suggested that the, the the some of the bits in this movie don't really string together as much as Miyazaki's previous work. I wonder if that is to do with the references and the plot points that refer to Japanese life being lost in translation. That's my thought on it, is that actually right. they've got a different process for storylines than 
us do, you know, where, where we expect it to have the certain beats all the way through, whereas they don't. And, and you know, some of Ghibli's work is very similar to that. But th this one is very much, you know, it's sort of flights of fantasy at times. Certainly there were bits that I thought possibly had greater meaning, but didn't fully connect with me. So, you know, I'm wondering if this is on me, the fact that, you know, I don't understand that sort of what they are talking about because it, it's very unique to their territory. That's that's what I'm thinking. So while this might not be Studio Ghibli's and Hayao Miyazaki's finest work, I still think it's a wonderful movie. I still love the fact that they are back and given us more unique films. It's still a movie to see on the big screen and it's completely still good enough. Yeah, yeah, it's it's still a movie to cherish all the way through. And I know I'm saying animation, and you know, there is unfortunately still this stigma that animation is for kids. It's not. Animation is for all. And Studio Ghibli's work, while you could show some children it, I think you could show children My Neighbor Totoro. Absolutely, that's a beautiful movie. It's very fun as well. This very much an adult movie. Very much an adult movie. Well, funny enough, you said about animation. You know, I'm not. A, I, I, you know, I'm not a massive fan of animation, but I appreciate it. And at the moment, I've been really glued to. Sorry, going off on a tangent. I've been really mm. glued to uh, Netflix because they're running the old animation of the things like the Justice League and stuff, and mm. the old Batman's and the. And I'm finding them fascinating. I really am, and kind of like the, the 90s X-Men and things like that. I really, yeah, really no, I, well, kind I, of... Do you know, I, I completely agree with you, Spencer. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of The Adventures of Batman, I think. I think that's a, a groundbreaking TV series. Um, but we're in a golden age of animation. Mm. We're in another golden age of animation. And I'm not talking about from Disney or Pixar either. I'm talking about from other studios. You know, we, we, you, only last week did we talk about Ardman. We're now talking about Studio Ghibli as well. You know, I think about Cartoon Saloon over in Ireland as well. I think about Laker in the US. You know, all of these people are churning out incredible movies. Earlier this year, we reviewed Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You know, one of my favorite films of the year. Um, and then also you've got Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Another amazing animation movie. Uh, animation is just in such a rich vein of form at the moment and i am absolutely loving it yeah and it's good isn't it because you know i think if you just go up to the average person on the street and you were to say animation they would say disney or they, or yep. they would say kind you know rather than just kind of think a little bit wider yep. as to what they see it just doesn't register does it so no that sounds really really amazing thank you right what's next so in select cinemas, but also streaming on uh, Netflix, we've got Maestro, which is chronicling the lifelong relationship between conductor, composer Leonard Bernstein and Felicia Co. Bernstein. I'm going to try and pronounce one of her middle names here. Hold on, because it's, it's on my notes. This is the thing, but I looked at it as well. I don't know if I'm going to get this right. Hold on. Felicia Monte L. Montalgri, mm, Co. Bernstein. Okay, moving on, Spencer, because oh, it's going to get really bad. Is so, it not Montalgri? I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to take your word on it, but I'm not going to say it again, just in case I'm going no. to be completely wrong. And I want in case I look ridiculous. So, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. Anyway, quickly moving on. So, th so this is Bradley Cooper's second film as a director after 2018's A Star Is Born. You know, I mean that that movie for me was just absolutely phenomenal really mm. um 
This time, once again, he focuses in on a musician who is both a genius and also someone who has personal issues. And I found it interesting that Bradley Cooper's done two films about men in the music business with relationship struggles. Because, you know, you think back to A Star is Born and Jack has struggles with alcohol. His, you know, Leonard Bernstein is struggling with so much more. Throughout this film, we see Bernstein loving and drinking and drugging to complete excess. The film does not hold back at times. And I think that's a positive of Cooper's directing and also his performance in the lead role as well, because we get a sort of warts and all, basically. You know, not, Can I ask you, what do you, think, what do you think of Cooper? Do you think he's good? I think he's great. Are we yeah, talking I about do. as an actor now? Well, as both, actually. I, I think that as an actor, um, I think he was pigeonholed maybe slightly earlier on in his career because he was kind of like a... It, he was made a celebrity very quickly, wasn't he? And he was he's a, he's a good-looking man. So he straight away went down a bit like the route that they took Brad Pitt down at the beginning, yep. that they just focused more on, oh, he's a good-looking, charismatic man. Actually, yep. you know, Brad Pitt is not a bad, is not, not a bad actor. And yep. I think Bradley Cooper is a very good actor. I but completely also think agree. He, yeah, I also think his direction is very good as well. Yeah, he's he's got a real keen eye for filmmaking. I think yeah. that's the beauty of it. Um and we see this, we see that in this movie. I mean, we see the absolute genius of the conductor composer creating incredible masterpieces of music. And the thing is, when they do play the music, chances are you'll know these pieces of music anyway. And you'll go, oh, I didn't know that was Bernstein at all. Um, and very early on, within the opening scene, in fact, there is an air of homosexuality with Bernstein. It's never confirmed Yet the way the film paints a picture of this guy is he enjoyed the company of men and women together mm -hmm. and separately. He even says on the point, I love too much. So we are getting that behind the scenes story here as well. The problem is, and we see this come through in the final 30 minutes of the film, is that these illicit affairs are not, are not so private that by the time the gossip columns were big business in the you know, 1970s and 80s, it, th these were coming about, you know, but Bernstein didn't care that people were talking about him, but it caused problems for his wife and his kids. You know, they were put into situations that they were afraid of. And there's a moment in this film, actually, where there's a huge argument between Leonard and Felicia at one point. And you, I mean, you can literally feel the air suck out of the room when they go at it. It's really ferocious. Mm -hmm. And there is some very cutting remarks. It's a tough watch. It's a really tough watch. Though, you know, what is it? You know, it, it, it's a love story that weathers many storms. You could look at it that way as well. And um, yeah, and I, if you if you imagine somebody in that scenario and with that sort of relationship, imagine that if this was in like today's era with all the social media and the gossips and the you know Twitter and everything like that, they just it just would have exploded, wouldn't it? It yeah. just would have exploded. Yeah, it really yeah. would. It really would. Um, Going back to your Bradley Cooper point, actually, I, I do want to really speak about Bradley Cooper here. So playing his wife, Felicia, is Carrie Mulligan, who, you know, once again, I think is a great actor. Um, but their performances in this movie are sublime. Like they've got this rapid fire dialogue that's really infectious between them. And you can't help but constantly want to listen to their conversations. They've got this really interesting dynamic. And I think that's because both actors 
understand not just the characters, but also the situations they find themselves in and also the other actor as well. So, you know, they, they were operating on three different levels, I think. I mean, I was completely bowled over by Cooper and Mulligan. I thought they were both sensational, really. I thought they were absolutely brilliant. You know, if you'd have made a movie with just one of them, I still would have thought it would have been a brilliant movie. But both of them together are, as I said, sensational. Um, and one of those moments that I really want to mention it's just about Bernstein. That's it. There's a sequence in this movie where we finally see him conduct one of his pieces. It's in a church with an orchestra and two singers. It's about seven or eight minutes. And the way that Bradley Cooper has done this sequence, it just keeps going up and up and up and it's just a rousing piece of course the music is doing that as well but the way that it's shot the camera is rolling around everybody it's in the face it's out of the face it's got a wide shot it's just raising the bar in terms of musical energy that sequence alone i think deserves a standing ovation it's phenomenal it's so good people are going to be ripping off that for a long time it's so good um, oh really yeah it's just so good and at the end when he's finished he's dripping with sweat and his hair's everywhere and i'm thinking i feel exactly the same bradley i feel exactly the same because i've been through it and it has been so good watching that the other thing oh. to say about this as well spencer is that yes it's a biopic it's a very it's it's done in a very fancy free way it starts in black and white and then it slowly, over time, because the time frame is moving through decades, moves on, much like Bernstein's scores, I guess, it, it, it moves on from the black and white into that golden age of Hollywood, you know, from the 1950s. So into Technicolor. And then it moves a bit more and it starts to feel like a 1980s movie. So it's moving with the decades the look of it, the cinematography is moving with it and it blends them so well in this film that I think it's going to appeal to nearly all ages. You know, whether you're a fan of black and white movies, whether you're a fan of, you know, the golden age of Hollywood from the 1940s, 1950s, whether you're a fan of the 70s or 80s or the 90s, you know, th this has got the style of each of those and it's done so well. I think it's going to really appeal to a lot of awards voters as well. You know, it is one of those movies that's desperately trying to get awards nominations, but I think it deserves it. I would be surprised if this film doesn't get a lot of awards love. I think it is an absolutely riveting piece of work. And it sounds like it's not, it's not style over substance either. There's style in it as well, Spencer. That's the thing. Yeah. There's yeah. loads of style in it, and yet it is not at the expense of the storyline or the acting, anything else like that. It all fits beautifully. So, you know, look, once again, Bradley Cooper is knocking it out of the park in terms of his directing choices. Yeah, long may continue. I think he's a marvellous talent. I really do. Thank you for that. Right. Last cap off the rank today. Uh, Ferrari. Vroom, vroom, Ferrari. 
that's rather, rather fitting, wasn't it? Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Look at that. How about... so, Seamless. There you go. You see, some people say we make this up on the spot. No, we don't. That's a lie. It's outrageous. Yeah. Um, so in cinemas now, Ferrari. Now, this is also a biopic. It's set in the summer of 1957 with uh, Enzo Ferrari's auto empire in crisis. The ex-racer turned entrepreneur pushes himself and his drivers to the edge as they launch into the Mille Migli, a treacherous 1,000-mile race across Italy. So I'd never heard of this uh, race before. I, I, I didn't know anything about this, to be honest with you. That's the thing. So I was coming at it very um, w- without any preconceived ideas as to what it was going to be. And I say it's a biopic. It's obviously a snapshot biopic of a certain part of Enzo Ferrari's life. I think there's enough here to make it an interesting film, but it seems not to have been included for much of it. It's a it's a really odd film because liking Ferrari, Enzo Ferrari, isn't the done thing. The film shows how he isn't very civil to his wife. And he's also got another family living elsewhere that he goes and visits. So it's not a film where you warm to Enzo Ferrari. But it's also not a film to be against Enzo Ferrari either. I found the film to be, it's not really painting him in any light, you know, good or bad. It's just he sort of... He exists in this weird space of almost nothingness. Yes, he's got all of his cars and he desperately wants them to win. But there's just very little passion in either his personal or professional life. And surely that can't be right. You know, I I just found myself becoming less and less interested in what Enzo was doing. I found his wife, Laura far more interesting because of what she has to live with and also finding out finding out about his other family and also how devious she is at times to me that was the better storyline and that was a subplot i was much more interested in that when it comes to the racing sequences yeah it's okay it's i, I didn't find it hugely thrilling or exciting that it doesn't add fil- anything to it no well you know, the point is, it's meant to, yeah. but it, it, it doesn't, you know, other films have done racing scenes so much better. I think about Ford versus Ferrari, or as it was known elsewhere, Le Mans 66 or something like that, I think mm-hmm. it was, um, which had uh, Matt Damon in it. You know, that had some of the best racing scenes of recent years. This movie pales into insignificance next to that film's racing sequences. And then also the big finale. And while I, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody who doesn't want it spoiled. I mean, you can read about obviously what happens online. It's really poorly shot. And the CGI is hideous. The, the CGI is almost cartoon-like. It, it made me think about the, the poor CGI in the, um, uh, the Ant-Man movie from earlier this year, you know, Quantum Mania. I, I just oh, yeah, it, which was terrible, wasn't it? It was just terrible. That's what it made me think of. And I was like, how can this be? How can a movie about Enzo Ferrari and this, you know, this treacherous thousand-mile race across Italy 
that is directed by Michael Mann. Michael Mann, one of the great filmmakers of any generation. You know, this is the guy who gave us Heat. This is the guy who gave us Thief. You know, this is the guy who gave us Manhunter. You know, like, it's not as though he's made bad movies. I'm like, how how has it got to be this bad? I genuinely didn't think that the CGI in that sequence was finished. I thought I was seeing a, an early cut of the movie. Turns out I wasn't. That's the finished article. I, I, I feel a bit, I feel like I was cringing watching it. And I, I do you shouldn't think you, have do, been. Do, do, do you think it was lazy filmmaking or, or they were trying to be clever or? I, I just think it's poor CGI. You know, you can put that down to whatever it is. Um, the, the maybe the um, graphics house that were doing it wasn't very good, or maybe Michael Mann saw something that he wanted that the rest of us are not seeing. Um, I don't know, but it just it just does not look good. Doesn't look good, and that's the big finale as well. So, you know, the sad thing is here, Spencer, is that I'm going to say to you, this is a Michael Mann movie that isn't very good. And Which I is just, rare, isn't it? It's yeah. rare. I can't get over that. You know, it's it's really unengaging. Adam Driver is very average as Enzo Ferrari. The whole film's very average, actually. You know, I liked Penelope Cruz as his as his wife, Laura. As I said, I thought that was great. She's really good in this. The rest of it's just really average. It's just bang average, apart from the CGI, which is really bad. I as I said, I can't get over it, really. This is the thing. And it's a movie I was really looking forward to. Any Michael Mann movie gets me excited. I'm always excited for a Michael Mann movie. And this turned up and I came out and I thought, what the heck happened there? Yeah, and it's just, you know, it, sometimes it, everything on paper should work, shouldn't it? And it just misses sometimes, doesn't it? That's the weird thing. I look at it and I think, this should all work. And it doesn't. And I don't know. I don't know. I, You know, it just I feel dirty saying that Michael Mann's bad, made a bad movie, but he has. And that's just the way it is. Do you know what film I, racing film I really loved? And I'm for the love of me, I can't remember the name. Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. The one with Chris Hemsworth. You're talking about Rush. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Yes, which yes. was the, uh, the true story, wasn't it? Yes, I, I, I could, could love it. I couldn't think of the guy's name. The, yeah. it, do you know when, it, when it's there in front of me, and I cannot say it. I can't think what it is. But um, yeah, I absolutely loved it. I loved that, and I thought that was a great film. But that's um, a, see, no, that's another good racing movie that actually gets the racing scenes brilliant. Like you feel the adrenaline rush, like you're in the car. That's the Senna. point. That's it. That's it. That's the name I'm thinking of. Sorry. Yeah, but but, yeah, but that's the point of these racing sequences is you're meant to feel the adrenaline rush of being in that car. I felt it earlier this year when I was watching Gran Turismo. And that is, you yeah. know, a kid who moved from computer games into the race car. It can be done. This movie, Ferrari, didn't do it. And I'm like, it's one of the most famous branded cars ever. And you've got a story here about a thousand mile race across Italy. And I never felt anywhere near the level of excitement I felt in Rush or Gran Turismo or Ford versus Ferrari. I just felt disappointed. And, and like, as you said, the fact that when you look at who's making it, it's just scandalous, really, isn't it? It is. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Oh, dear. Never mind. Never mind. 
Okay, well, thanks for today. Really appreciate it. So, I know next week we've got a bit of a a bit of a bumper edition, haven't we? We have, yeah. So next week we are going to be talking about our favourite movies of twenty twenty three. Um, I don't know what's going to throw it up from your end, Spencer. I mean, I know you've been making your list. Um, I'm curious to know what is on there. Um, well, I've been making notes every time you've said it's one of your favourite films, and put it this way: our lists are not going to be. <laughs> oh really? I, I think yes. I think there's going to be some um, interesting conversations. Okay, well that's good. That's good. But that's the beauty of film. That's the beauty of film. You know, you've seen the movie, you've got an informed opinion about it. So whether we both love the same movie, whether you love it, I hate it, or vice versa, it doesn't matter. The fact is, we can have a discussion about it. And then at the end of the program, we can realize that I was right all the time. Well, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, we, 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 we didn't need that episode to tell us that, did we? Exactly. <laughs> but no, literally a couple of them on your list. I think, yeah, I agree with, like I so I've just been making notes. So I don't know if they're going to be fully on your list or not, but I would imagine they are. A couple of them think, yeah, I get that. One of them, I'm like, no, we're not having that. We're not having that. <laughs> Well, this is all to be discussed next week. So, yeah, so we're going to do, yes. we're going to have a bit longer, aren't we, discussing these movies? We basically. will. We will. And uh, we would, so urge, urge all listeners, grab yourself a, a snack and a drink because it's going to be interesting, I think. It is. Okay, mate. Thanks for today. Really appreciate it. And listen, have a lovely Christmas, sir. I will do. And you too. And to everybody listening as well. Yes, absolutely. And have a great time. Uh, refresh and relax, and I'll see you next Saturday. Will do. Take care. Now remember, you're only supposed to listen to Phoenix FM if you want film reviews.